0: Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. I'm sure everyone who's connected to the Internet is aware that we're living in a time when scams have become the new normal. Gabrielle Bluestone, an attorney and former reporter at Vice, has written a new book that looks into the explosion of snake oil salesmen in the digital age. It's called Hype, How Scammers, Grifters, and Con Artists Are Taking Over the Internet and Why We're Following. It's published by Hanover Square Press and brings Gabrielle Bluestone to our show now. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're also the executive producer of the Netflix documentary, Fire. Was covering that story what got you interested in this topic?
1: Yes um so i was a reporter who broke the fire festival story for vice and then uh, worked on the documentary and as i was covering uh, billy mcfarland the ceo of fire festivals uh, never-ending scams um i started to realize kind of that the more interesting thing about the story wasn't necessarily um what he had gotten away with but rather why it worked so well and what mm. it said about our society that he was so enabled
0: uh, to scam so many people. Uh, Is the film still available on Netflix?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Now, Billy McFarland's, the the, the thing we're talking about, uh, 2017 Fire Festival sold thousands of tickets and it was hyped as a glamorous musical festival on an island in the Bahamas that promised luxury accommodation, great food and celebrity attendees. And it got a lot of publicity. Was most of it online?
1: Yes, Um, and not just online, primarily on social media. Um, And that was what kind of made this such an interesting case study because the event was born and then died on social media um, because, you know, he invited some of the most hyper connected and socially social media fluent millennials um, to be a part of this thing. And when they arrived, you know, rather than these luxury um, villas and celebrities that they had been promised. It was a gravel pit in the Bahamas uh, stocked with FEMA tents and wet Ikea uh, mattresses. Um, and so it was really kind of uh, the
0: ultimate
1: Instagram versus reality moment that went hugely viral as a result.
0: And you mentioned influencers. Uh, that is a, a recent development, isn't it? Uh, I guess we've always had influencers on some level, but nothing like what we see today, especially on Instagram.
1: Yes, you know, it's funny. There there have been um, sort of offline influencers. Um, one thing that really interested me was there was a Campari campaign before social media had been invented where they would pay attractive models to go into popular bars and order Campari uh, just to influence the people around them. And um, there's actually a fascinating movie um called the joneses that came out a few years before instagram really became the thing
0: do we lose um, you just now what yeah,
1: influencers ahead. are going to be uh so, you know the the movie was premised on the idea that this attractive family would be hired to move into a neighborhood uh hired by a marketing firm and uh they were the the titular joneses and um because they had such an aspirational lifestyle the people around them one of the products that they used, that they could be more like them. And I think that is what you see now on social media.
0: But didn't this all start with a cheese sandwich?
1: (laughs) Well, it ended with a cheese sandwich for sure. Um, You know, the attendees had been promised that, this was going to be the most luxurious event of the year. And by the way, that was uh, confirmed for ticket buyers by you know, really reputable outlets like Vanity Fair and Vogue, which hyped this thing up because they had the right influencers involved. You know, they had hired some of the most followed people on social media, including Justin Bieber's wife and uh, one of the Kardashian sisters and Bella Hadid. These people who live extremely public aspirational lifestyles on social media. Um, And as a result, people really bought into it and believed that they were going to have uh, the kind of weekend that Haley Bieber had. And instead, they uh, found a very sad looking cheese sandwich um, on a styrofoam plate, uh, which the image of it really encapsulated uh, everything that was wrong with it.
0: What got you suspicious at first? And what happened when you went to your editor's advice and said that you thought you should do a story on it?
1: Yeah, it's a funny story. Um, When I first saw the marketing, you know, I saw it just like everyone else on Instagram, and I didn't think twice about it. I just assumed that it was what it claimed to be. Um, And I started looking at it a little bit more carefully when someone that I knew in real life started posting on their private Instagram page about this festival and how amazing it was going to be. And I, I remember I had a pang where I was like, am I about to miss out on the event of the century? Like, am I? did I just not realize that this was happening? And so I, I looked it up. And the key thing there was that I got off Instagram and I started researching it in other places. And that's when the red flags really started appearing. Um, you know, I kind of refer to them as Cassandras, but there were at least two insiders who saw how this thing was going south, um, and how bad it was going to be. And they were trying to warn people, there was a Twitter account, there was a registered website that was showing images of what the campsite really looked like. Um, but nobody was bothering to get off of Instagram to go check it out. Um, and so as soon as I realized that there, there was something so terribly wrong with it, um, I went to my editors, and I worked for Vice News at the time, which you know, they uh, was at the time a very serious outlet that, uh, you know, was very concerned with, you know, for example, war reporting and that kind of international work. And when I pitched it to my editors, um, they were like, oh, a music festival that's overhyped. You know, I don't know if that's mm. a nice story per se. I had to pitch it three times. Um, and it was only when that cheese sandwich went viral on social media uh-huh. that they were like, oh, that's what you were talking about okay, let's go publish. And so luckily, we had the article pre written, Uh, we were still able to break the story. But you know, I didn't know if it was a failure on my part to adequately explain what was going on, or um, if it was such, you know, an ingrained thing in our culture, like, yeah, things get overhyped. Companies are not what they claim to be that they almost didn't hear. You know, I, I still don't know the answer to that.
0: Now Billy McFarlane was uh, being presented as an established impresario. Was he just a con man? Did he have a history uh, being a con man? He, he had dropped out of college after his freshman year and, and, and started a number of dubious businesses.
1: Yes, well, that uh, really revealed to me what we as a society um, think of as important when it comes to a business leader. Um, Billy had dropped out of college to start a tech startup for which he received several hundred thousand dollars in investments, Mm. despite never really having a product. Um, You know, my reporting revealed that, you know, it was supposed to be a, a social networking hybrid of like Reddit and Google circles. Um, but the only users on the site were college kids that he had recruited, you know, his camp friends and his college friends who he was offering, you know, $5 a link to post on the site to make it look like it had users. But that appearance of, um, of a user base was enough to convince, you know, real investors who really should have known better to give him hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and so despite the fact that he never really had a product and that nothing ever came of that the fact that he was able to start a company and to convince people to give him money for it made him a success in that world. And so he was able to go from that company to the next, to the next, um, and was looked at as, you know, this millennial startup, you know, the next Zuckerberg kind of genius because he knew how to play the game.
0: Even though uh, he just seemed to be taking money and not giving anything, isn't that a criminal act?
1: Yeah, <laughs> that would be uh, you know, a variation of wire rod, which is what he ultimately went down for. But you know, it's important to note that he never got in trouble for luring you know, hundreds of millennials to uh, a deserted gravel pit in, in another yeah. country. Um, that wasn't what he, what he got in trouble for. He got in trouble for lying to his investors about the status, the health of his company and, and what the company was worth. Um, so it kind of lets you know like what what we're protected against and what we're not.
0: What role did the rapper Yarul play in promoting the fire festival, and how important uh, he, was his his uh, participation?
1: You know, he was no pen intended kind of the hype man. Um, he added an element of celebrity that uh, you know he was a, a, a well liked rapper who was popular in the early offs um, who had the name recognition and that was kind of enough to get a lot of people on board. Um, there is this attractive allure of celebrity that, you know, there's no rational explanation for it, but people love celebrities. Um, and so that, that aura of fame was kind of enough to help legitimize Billy.
0: But were people aware that Billy McFarland had no experience in, in the festival business? Um, I mean, was it just a matter of show? Because he he rented a ten thousand square foot house that cost what fifty thousand dollars a day, uh, among other things. Uh, yeah. How, how many tickets were sold, and how much did the package cost?
1: Well, that's a great question because um, the you know they they lied a lot about how much they were actually selling. They definitely sold you know quite a, a couple thousand tickets for sure. Um, they'd also given away quite a few to influencers, and they were—they did not uh, d- differentiate in their own Excel spreadsheets of what was paid and what was gifted. So that number was always fluctuating. But they were also um, extremely effective at using that kind of scarcity principle against the consumers. So they would claim that it had been, that it had been sold out, and that they were going to release, you know, just a limited batch of a few hundred more tickets, but that's it. Um, And that was enough to convince people who might have been on the fence otherwise that they had to act now or forever lose their chance to party on a beach with a Kardashian sister.
0: And and the prices range all the way up to a quarter of a million dollars if you wanted uh, uh, a yacht as well and a private chef.
1: Yes, they did offer the infamous uh, $250,000 yacht package. But in reality, the majority of what they sold were uh, tickets that ranged between, you know, 1500 up to like $5,000 um, to young millennials who were really scraping together that money. You know, they were paying in installments. They were splitting it with friends because the real allure of this festival, you know, the people that could afford a yacht. We're not the people that were buying into this. They could party with those models on their own. They were selling this entree to this lifestyle that would have been otherwise unavailable to the people who ultimately bought those tickets. And you know, Billy referred to them uh, fairly derisively as you know bridge and tunnel and losers, average losers. Um, but what he didn't, you know, he he was also his own his own target audience. Billy was from New Jersey, and he was friends with the private jet families, but he was not one on his own. Um, and so, you know, my my theory and, and and what the evidence in my reporting kind of suggested was that this, this festival was also his way into living that lifestyle. Um, he used investor money to fly private to the Bahamas, you know, a dozen times in the lead up to it. He was, as you mentioned, renting these extravagant villas and yachts.
0: And and, um, and he flew yeah. in a private jet with a, a, a mini fridge full of frozen Snickers bars. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it was with, with
0: a lot of start. with some people with with a number of models uh, and and also former football player Jason Bell. Um yes. I guess they yeah. they all were to sell uh, this thing. But okay, go ahead
1: like that saying, you never know how popular you are until you get a beach house. Like he really uh, used that to advantage, um, to his, his social advantage. Um, but you know, he kind of like, he started drinking his own Kool-Aid. I think he believed that that was his lifestyle. And so, you know, the money ran out rather quickly. And you know, it's arguable, I think he probably could have pulled the festival off, but he, he spent all the money beforehand on his own lifestyle.
0: And he didn't pay the modeling agency, among other things.
1: No, he tried to stiff just about everyone. Um, a really, you know, darkly comic recurring theme with him would be that people were always asking him where are the wires, Billy, and he would send out photoshopped uh, wire receipts, claiming that he had sent money when he hadn't. And you know, he was able to kind of kick the can further and further down the road until it resulted in, you know, the catastrophe seen around the world on social media.
0: And uh, who was supposed to be performing at this music festival?
1: So that's the funny part, is um, if you were to go off the lineup alone, it made absolutely no sense for such a luxury event. You know, the headliners were Blink-182, which is a band that hasn't been popular since I was in middle school, which I will just say was quite a while ago, you know. It was not, um, it was not like a cool festival. Uh, They just had the right marketing.
0: Didn't the Wall Street Journal publish an article that questioned the festival's financial situation in early April, 2017? So didn't that send off alarm bells?
1: Yes, sort of. Um, They were the only outlet to really question what was going on. Um, And that was because they had been leaked uh, From some of the artists that that the artists had not been paid. Um, Once that article came out, uh, Billy was able to pull together some last-minute funds in part by selling credit card receivables. Um, So he had to make the whole festival cashless at the last minute to convince people to use their credit cards to put money on their wristbands, um, which ended up actually being even more of a catastrophe than it needed to be because all of these kids then showed up without the cash that they would have brought otherwise because they assumed that they were going to be able to pay for everything with wristbands and then found themselves, you know, on a deserted island instead with no Wi-Fi. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large is Gabrielle Bluestone, who's written a book called Hype, How Scammers, Grifters, and Con Artists are taking over the internet and why we're following. It's published by Hanover Square Press. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. You write that a conundrum of our connected age is that although we have more tools available to uncover bad actors than ever before, yet we persist in playing along with them. Uh, And you say that's a symptom of of a post-truth world? Yeah,
1: um, we have entered an age where kind of our gut feeling and our emotions um, are are more important than verifiable facts. And, uh, you know, part of it I think is the way that social media kind of primes us and the effect that it has on us. There are all these studies that show these rises in negative affects um, correlated with when social media migrated. From our cell phones to our—I'm sorry—from our computers to our cell phones. Once we were connected 24/7, um, it, you know, it makes us lonelier. It makes us more unhappy. Mm. Um, you know, we have these feelings of solo, fear of missing out, as a result of seeing what everyone else is doing all the time. Um, and you know, we're we're really primed then to be preyed on with solutions to these negative emotions. Um, and so the fire festival is one of those. And you know these apps are designed to keep us on them as long as possible. And the other element of it that is you know disturbing is is the way that we are now um, interacting online and performing online. Because you know ostensibly you follow people you know on social media, but then you're also following brands and celebrities. And you know. At at a certain point, um, our friends started posting like brands. Our brands are posting as if they're our friends, and it all looks the same. You know, this unending timeline and stream of posts. Uh, it's really easy to forget what's real.
0: Well, there've always been con men. Uh, it's the difference now that they have such a they have a much wider reach because of the internet, because of Facebook and Instagram and whatever else is out there.
1: Yes, that's part of it. Um, you know, they, don't, they no longer have to put on pants to come and scam us. You know, they can do it at home on their couch. Um, but we've also started, I think, accepting these shortcuts. And that's both online and off, right? Um, if, if, a, if a Kardashian sister is telling us that this is going to be the event of the summer for a lot of people, that was enough. You know, you didn't have to do any research beyond that. Um, but I think that you see that offline as well. I think there's a real direct parallel to Henry Kissinger being on the board of Theranos, um, and that was a signifier to investors, at, you know, and the Walmart family being involved. That was a signifier to other investors that this was, you know, a great bet that they should get involved with, and I think a lot of people didn't do the due diligence they might have otherwise done um, because they saw these gold based names involved.
0: And uh, some pretty sophisticated people were taken in by Bernie Madoff and Elizabeth Holmes and and Theranos, uh, also um, a a woman named Anna Sorokin, who uh, called herself Anna Delvey. Uh, There's a whole bunch of them.
1: Yeah, and and the funny part is they sometimes cross over. Uh, Anna Delvey um, crashed at Billy McFarland's company. He had um, an apartment where he was staging events. And she moved in for several months, according to reports, <laughs> um, and he was unable to get her out. So there is a, a funny crossover there, too. Uh,
0: why do you think that uh, so many people were taken in by Elizabeth Holmes, for example, uh, and Theranos, just because uh, the the product uh, sounded too good to be true? Shouldn't that make us suspicious?
1: Well, there's like a funny... Um, element in, in kind of the tech world. Um, you know, it, there's almost like this mystical element to the startup tech industry um, that is, you know, accepted as reality for some reason that transforms, you know, a tunnel boring company into a futuristic hyperloop uh, setup, um, or, you know, an office sublucing space into a global revolution uh, that's like tacitly encouraged but um, there's also this you know this idea that like there youth and charisma are really valued um, more than they should be, I believe and uh, you know the other element of it is a lot of people you know there's so much money involved and these companies are trying are getting in before there's ever even really a product. So they're not um, necessarily valuing the company based on you know, anything tangible. Um, it's on how charismatic the founder is or how confident they are. Um, so they're making bets on on, on, on the founders. And, and I don't think it's any surprise that there's this growth in these kind of like cult figure tech founders. So Elizabeth Holmes was young. She had the right pedigree. You know, she was a Stanford student. Um, She adopted this mysterious persona where she was speaking in the low voice and exclusively wearing turtlenecks. And she created a character that, you know, these people uh, wanted to believe in.
0: And she uh, created a product that people wanted to believe in, uh, which turned out to be fake blood tests.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, for a long time, it didn't matter that it didn't exist, um, she was kind of able to sell it. I mean, even like you look at like a WeWork and I think they would have been able to keep that going if they hadn't been for If they hadn't decided to try an IPO and been forced to actually put down on paper what the company was worth, that probably could have kept going for another decade. Um, it, 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 it is interesting what we value because when we look at these companies, even a company like Uber has never turned a profit, right? Like they're the value is how much money people are willing to put into it, not what they're actually making or what the actual product is. Um, and so we really let that get twisted, um, in the last last decade or so.
0: It hasn't helped that they're now selling meals for 30 bucks. Uber. <laughs> I keep on getting emails from them offering me a $30 meal delivered to my home. Um, you, you may, Some other things come up. For example, didn't reviewers and celebrities flock to a top-rated London restaurant that uh, turned out to be little more than a backyard shed?
1: Yes, it was the top-rated restaurant on Trip Reviewer for uh, a TripAdvisor for a while. Um, it was a great illustration of how easy it is to use these platforms to make something seem legitimate because if you get enough uh, positive comments or enough likes, or the right influence of endorsing it, um, people are really not going to do much more research beyond that. So uh, Uba Butler, who was a vice uh, journalist in the UK, was able to create a buzz around uh, their backyard shed. And they hired, you know, I think they did uh, one feeding, um after they, you know, people were clamoring to get in, even though it didn't exist. Um, and they were getting calls offering to bribe, their way in, or, you know, I have this celebrity who wants to come visit. So they did one feeding, they hired, um, you know, a fake waiter, and people believe that they were having the best meal of their life. Um, mm. And it's not just that, you know, even, you know, we're talking about Uber, but Uber is a platform too. Um, in the book, I cover a YouTuber who was able to start a successful pizza delivery company just by registering it on Uber Eats. And you know, creating a convincing digital storefront, and then they went to their local supermarket, bought a dozen frozen pizzas, and the orders <laughs> started piling in.
0: <laughs> and then there's uh, the $400 gadget that was called the Juicero, that was sold yes. by Consumer Reviews.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it really rode the wellness trend um, very effectively. So that was at a time when we were still letting. Gwyneth Paltrow, tell us uh, what, what's healthy and what's not um, because she's a beautiful celebrity. That was her medical qualification. Um, and so, you know, juicing was a big thing. And this company uh, created a hybrid that was part um, gadget and part subscription service. So it was a, a machine that you would put juice into. And then the company had a monthly subscription where they would send you the bags of juice. So it worked like, a, like an espresso pod kind of thing. Um, But it turned out that it was actually much faster and more efficient to just open the juice bag with your hands. The whole machine itself was so irrelevant to the process and so superfluous um, that the company went from being valued at several hundred million dollars to worthless overnight.
0: Now, these things are, I guess, are a lot more sophisticated than the stuff I I, uh, deleted all the time from my email trash box.
1: I mean it is, but um, they also operate on the same principle, right? They're different platforms, but the whole point is to get you to click, right? They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to uh, manipulate your emotions in some way and get you to uh, to go through their funnel. Um, and so I don't think it's all that different. Uh,
0: the the difference is that I was uh, uh, it's so obvious to me that it's fake, and I would think that. Uh, Intelligent people would look at some of these things like the Juicero and say, $400? That's a lot of money for something that's offering so little. And Did it you know, sell a lot? Certainly,
1: certainly people say that, but then you know that's drowned out by the millions of dollars uh, telling you that you're wrong and that this is valuable. Um, you know, I think the patina of success is much more important than anything underlying. That's kind of the state that we found our, ourselves in as a society.
0: You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Now, that is uh, a pretty old record now. You would think that people would have listened way back when, when that was recorded. Uh, but um, Hype is the name of the new book from my guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large show. Uh, it's Gabrielle Bluestone, uh, and uh, whose uh, book is called Hype, um, How Scammers, Grifters, and Con Artists Are taking over the Internet and why we're following It's published by Hanover Square Press. And um, Ms. Bluestone is uh, both a, uh, a journalist, but also a licensed attorney. Uh, so have you ever gotten involved in any of these lawsuits?
1: Uh, no, but it does come in handy. Uh, researching them on PACER.
0: <laughs> uh, because you had to do a lot of research for this, uh, read all sorts of... Uh, of, of legal briefs and stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's been, you know, a really, a, a fun way. I, I call my law degree the most expensive journalism degree out there. Um, but you know, it, it definitely helps inform, um, you know, because like, as I mentioned, like Billy McFarland, uh, a fire festival was never charged for the actual festival. So it really kind of helps inform what legally we care about, uh, as a society and don't as well.
0: Well, he has been convicted of fraud, but not, for anything uh, involving the festival?
1: Um, not specifically. It was for misleading the investors, uh, not for you know taking money from consumers or luring them to a deserted island or anything like that. Uh, it was for lying about the health of the company to investors.
0: No, I'm, I'm really curious about the influencers because uh, there are an awful, lot. are they generally paid? Was he paying? the people who were functioning as influencers for him?
1: Yes, quite a bit. Uh, they spent you know, more than a million dollars on that infamous uh, commercial featuring uh, some of the top models uh, in the mm. U.S. and some of the most followed people on social media. Kendall Jenner, uh, one of the Kardashian sisters, was paid $250,000 uh, just for one Instagram post. So they spent a large portion of their marketing budget um, or of their entire budget on the marketing.
0: I'm assuming that a lot of the young men who uh, signed up were hoping to spend some time to hook up with some of these models who were going to be hanging around. That That was part of the appeal. that,
1: That was the big draw there. Yeah, they were offering these people entree into a world that they would otherwise have no access
0: to. So the in, the end result was the uh, fire festival uh, was uh, became a it was just a, a rain soaked gathering, as you said, at a gravel pit. Yeah. The gra- the gravel pit was the equivalent of the the stage that uh, the performances were supposed to take place at.
1: Yeah, they were. Um, they had been building a stage actually. I don't know if it was ever fully completed, uh, but. You know, they never had a single band go on. Um, it, it was just a, a, an abject failure from the second the first plane landed there.
0: And uh, were any of the musicians that were scheduled to perform paid, or did they even appear?
1: Uh, many of them were paid. Because the festival was so new, uh, they were able to negotiate these outrageous uh, payments with a uh, considerable percentage considerable percentage up front, um, rain or shine. So a lot of them, I I think uh, the bankruptcy attorneys may have clawed some of that back. I know they've been going after uh, the influencers and artists who did get money. Um, But at the time, you know, they were able to walk away uh, with 75 to 100 percent of their Mm -hmm. promised fees.
0: So how do I get a job as an influencer?
1: (laughs) Well, you have to uh, present a very aspirational lifestyle on social media. Uh, um, you have to make people want to be you.
0: Too late now. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> um, you said that he, he pleaded guilty to defrauding investors. What was he sentenced to?
1: He was sentenced to six years. Um, and then, well, he was, he was actually sentenced for two sets of of uh, felonies. Uh, the first related to the fire festival, and then the second, while he was out on bail for the fire festival charges, he started a sham experiential company uh, called NYC VIP Access that targeted his same victims. It was the same mailing list where he would promise them access to events like the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show and the Met Gala and you know, events like Burning Man, he was gonna sell meet and greets with Taylor Swift. Um, what they all shared in common was that he had no access to any of them. And uh, he was still able to steal $100,000 from his original victim while out on bail for that. So for all of that, incredibly, he was only sentenced to six years um, and he's you know not had a boring time behind bars either. Uh, He was sent sent to FBI Otisville initially, which is uh, a prison upstate where the situation from Jersey Shore was serving out his time for tax evasion and where Michael Cohen was eventually sent. Um, Unfortunately, Billy is now in a a facility in Ohio because he was caught with a recording device behind bars Um, (laughs) and he... (laughs) Yeah, launched a podcast for which he was again placed in solitary confinement, um, so he has, you know, not been keeping quiet by any means.
0: <laughs> do most of the scam artists wind up in prison like Bernie Madoff and, and Billy McFarland, or do most of them tend to get away with it?
1: Um, some of them do. You know, the Elizabeth Holmes trial is starting, uh, so we'll see what happens there, um, but you know, for the most part, it's, it's interesting psychologically because um, scammers are not really, uh, they tend to fail upwards, I think. Um, even though Billy is serving time in prison, he has two documentaries about him, uh, a book now, and two uh, scripted projects in production. Um, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street got played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. And V, the Soho grifter that we mentioned earlier, um, has a Shonda Rhimes show coming out about her scene. They are they tend to be kind of um, celebrated cult figures. Uh, and so I don't think we've seen the last of Billy McFarland. I don't think we've seen the last of Elizabeth Holmes. I think, uh, you know, for some reason, we, we love a scam artist.
0: And some of the other people you've written about are, are Tesla founder Elon Musk, for example, now he, is he a scam artist? I know that nobody on Saturday Night Live wants to perform with him, but that something quite different.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, he um, well, he's certainly been charged by the SEC. But if you look at uh, what who Elon Musk is in pop culture, and then what his actual businesses are, there is a vast divide. I mean, I think. If anything, Elon Musk is an excellent marketer, but, um, you know, Tesla, which is considered to be this incredibly successful car company, uh, just released their earnings sheet for this year. They make their money off of trading Bitcoin and selling emissions. You know, he bought a tunnel boring equipment and sold it to uh, state and city governments as a futuristic hyperloop. And the places that bought in have found themselves with very expensive tunnels for Teslas. Um, not at all the, the light speed, uh, shuttles that he promised. Um, you know, Tesla advertises this self-driving car system that is not self-driving and has resulted in a number of crashes, um, several of them fatal, you know, what, what he markets and what he actually provides are so vastly different. And I actually, um, spoke to a former tech reporter who kind of explained that for years, um, You know, when news was focused on getting Facebook traffic, people really liked Elon Musk. And so they were, you know, the writers were not permitted to write negative stories about him. They were instructed to write stories that would do well on Facebook. And the stories that did well were the ones celebrating him as this like Tony Stark kind of benevolent billionaire figure. Um, And so no one cared that that wasn't really who Elon Musk is in real life.
0: And then there were others. Uh, the WeWork founder, Adam Newman, for example. Mm-hmm. You want I to mean, talk you, about <laughs> you, want, you want to talk about some of these people because they're—they all have fascinating stories, and so many of them get away with it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what they share in common is they are just and and, and you know, you can throw Donald Trump in there too. What they're very yeah. good at marketing. Adam mm-hmm. Newman turned. What was? you know, a good idea, but not a great one, an office subleasing company into this, you know, t- like technological revolution that was going to change the world, the regeneration. generation. Um, and people bought into it. You know, he was an incredibly charismatic, confident leader whose employees were willing to follow him literally off the edge of a building. There is an anecdote that really blew my mind um, when he uh, signed on to the Woolworth building while it was still under construction, he brought some of his employees up to the construction site to celebrate. And um, there were two parts, there was on the floor, there were like some old beer bottles that had been left there. And he told his employees to drink them and they did. And then he told them to like walk out to the edge of the building and they did. They were willing to follow him anywhere. Um, And so it is, you know, kind of like a fascinating cult leader kind of story.
0: Wait, you said the Woolworth Building. Woolworth Building is very old. You're, you're talking about the uh, some of the building they've done on top of it recently. Some of the, yeah, the changes. Yeah,
1: they, uh, they took they took some of the top floors and they're converting them to penthouses and a couple other things. It, it, yeah.
0: And then there's uh, Caroline Calloway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, she. Um, yeah, you devote so a chapter to her. Well, you know, it was um, a great example. There were a lot of parallels between her and Billy McFarland. She is someone who amassed a large Instagram following who uh, support her no matter what she does. And so she went viral initially um, selling tickets to a creativity workshop that sounded a lot like the Fire Festival. Uh, She promised all these, um, you know, perks and extras that uh, she was unable to provide. When it finally came down, for the tour it turned out she had been unable to even um, get venues so she had nowhere to host them Um, and she ultimately was forced to refund most of the ticket holders. Um, This is someone who after that she sold uh, two books that she's never written uh, but (laughs) she's written about in pop culture as an author. I mean it's really incredibly fascinating to watch people construct their own identities that are accepted in in pop culture and in the media, um, even though there is no basis for any of it.
0: No, I I had not heard of Caroline Calloway. Am I just out of it? Or is there a certain segment of the population that would know about people like her while the rest of us are totally oblivious?
1: Well, you know, uh, you're not a millennial woman, so that certainly is part of it. Um, But what I found most fascinating about her actually wasn't kind of what she'd gotten away with, but the fact that there is Um, a Reddit community that follows her every move as if she were, you know, kind of a reality show. There are close to 10,000 people who gather on a daily basis to discuss this woman's activities. Um, And the parallels between, you know, uh, a reality show and these Instagram stars um, are really there. And it's very interesting. Um, They are creating a version of reality for their viewing audience to consume. And, you know, much like, Viewers of The Apprentice uh, believed Donald Trump to be a successful businessman. You know, the people that watch her Instagram stories um, have, you know, a, a, an understanding of her that doesn't match up to reality.
0: So they live vicariously through what they think she's doing.
1: Yes. Although I would say the Reddit community is more dedicated to kind of exposing uh, the untruths than to uh, celebrating them.
0: Mm. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. My guest is Gabrielle Bluestone, who has written a book called Hype, how scammers, grifters, and con artists are taking over the Internet and why we're following. It's published by Hanover Square Press. I mentioned that uh, you used to work for Vice, but you've also written – about some of the related subjects for the New York times and other publications.
1: Yes. There's a, you know, there's a scammer story born every minute.
0: <laughs> you interviewed, uh, some on other online personalities like Danielle Bernstein. Uh, she's a fashion designer.
1: Yes, she is uh, a very successful influencer who operates under the name. We wore what, and she has a fashion brand that, uh, came out of her she had I think more than two and a half million followers.
0: And what did you learn from her?
1: So that was um that was a, a funny experience for me because that was an influencer that I had followed who, you know, based on what she posted, I thought I knew who she was and, and what that experience was going to be like. And through, you know, a a twist of fate and a turn of events, I ended up, you know, in her apartment being interviewed by her. For a podcast episode, um, and the chapter really traces uh, just how different she turned out to be from that public persona. You know, she's been accused of um, stealing designs from a number of small brands, and there is uh, you know convincing evidence to that effect. Um, she's embroiled in a few lawsuits related to that now, but you would never know it from looking at her page and from following her. And um, you know. I, I literally wrote the book on this, but I certainly kind of fall for it all the same where, <laughs> you know, I follow someone and I think I, I have an idea of who they are. Um, even though I know that, that, that that's that's what the internet is and that we fall for that all the time. I still, you know, kind of fell prey to it myself.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of misinformation out there. If you read my Wikipedia entry, you will find all sorts of things that aren't true. Uh, I guess that's just part of the, uh, becoming something of a public figure. Uh, Have there been many scams related to the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Yes, uh, there really have. I think, uh, according to the most recent tally, Americans lost $145 million uh, to COVID-related scams. And that's just the the specifically COVID-related ones, um, you know, between, you know, fake COVID tests fake uh, PPE, you know, there was a big issue, uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic where you thought you were ordering N95s and what arrived was, you know, not that at all. um, Related to uh, the stimulus checks, um, fake chores. And then you have to look at the fact that, like, you know, a large percentage of this country doesn't believe COVID is a real thing or don't believe that masks work. And so that is its own separate insidious issue in this kind of post-truth world where, you know, whatever you want to believe, you can kind of find evidence for it on the internet. Uh,
0: Well, I guess if you want to believe what you see on television, that over a half million people, almost 600,000 people have died from COVID, then you believe that. And if you want to believe something else, you can believe that. I I guess we pick and choose, don't we?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's also, you know, we have to look at who's profiting off of this, right? Like, You know, Donald Trump made a lot of money uh, fundraising against COVID and and convincing people that the election had been stolen. Um, That was a lucrative exercise for him. That wasn't just an ego thing.
0: You show how scams hurt everyone, not just the targets.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of poisoned our culture, I think. Like, how do you know what's real anymore? there's, there's no, it's, it used to be that we were reading the same news article and, and maybe disagreeing about what was in it, but now we're all reading different articles and we're all like living in different segmented realities. Um, and it, it has like a very negative effect on, on everyday life. Like what's going on online has poisoned offline.
0: So if you watch. Fox, you uh, have a very different way of seeing these things than if you watch MSNBC. Yeah, and
1: that's always been the case, but now you have, you know, own OANN and, 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 and things that are completely untethered from reality um, that have like an equal voice at the table.
0: Now, I, I've only mentioned some of the things that you cover here. You, uh, you uh, drew from scientific research, marketing campaigns, exclusive documents and interviews for this book, um, which I take as a warning, uh, what are some of the other things we should be warned about?
1: Um, well, I mean, hype is everywhere. Uh, and I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway for me was just how much, um, these things really depend on playing on our emotions. And so I think it's really helpful to keep that in mind. Um, you know, something is making you angry or making you feel uh, like you're about to miss out on something or jealous or any kind of like negative affect, um, it's really helpful to stop and wonder why and like, who's going to profit off of this. And then obviously, you know, if something seems too good to be true, uh, it probably is. And for some reason we as as consumers, like really want to believe that this is going to be the exception to the rule, but it, it never really is.
0: And and despite the fact that these scams become headline stories, you say much of the hype remains irresistible.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you and know, you mentioned the
0: fear of missing out before FOMO.
1: Yes. Um, and, you know, we're very susceptible to peer pressure. This is not new, but uh, I think the way that we use social media really exacerbates it. I think a lot about the Solomon Ash experiment from the 1950s where he put you know a bunch of people in a room and asked them to uh, select, there were two lines on the screen and he asked them to pick a third line that most closely resembled the first two. And um, what the people in the experiment didn't know was that there were plants who were in the audience who had been instructed to pick the most obviously wrong answer. And up to 75% of the people in the study also picked the wrong answer um, because of peer pressure because they didn't want to be different from the crowd so you know we already have these instincts and then to have it in your face constantly um it, and and in a way that like we turn to social media when we're bored when we're lonely so we're already kind of primed to be scammed in that way
0: uh, are people in different age groups vulnerable to different kinds of hype
1: um, certainly, but you know, there's no, there's no like real age differential, and I think that's how you end up with Henry Kissinger in his 90s following mm-hmm. falling for the Theranos uh, hype all the way down to you know the 26 year old who saw on Reddit that there was child trafficking going on in a DC pizzeria and arrived gun you know mm-hmm. loaded. Um, it it doesn't discriminate uh, between age, gender, um, anything like that. Uh, we we're all we're all
0: susceptible. Well, some of the things just uh, are hard to really understand unless you're caught up in them. For example, the QAnon things about people drinking babies, blood, killing babies. I mean, th- that Pizzagate was just part of all of that. But uh, it's, it's kind of it's so far-fetched. It's, uh, hype doesn't even describe what goes on with, with things like that.
1: Yeah. But, you know, when you when you look at it from kind of like a bird's eye view, um, I think it is it's not all that different from a bunch of millennials believing that for fifteen hundred dollars they were going to fly on private jets to a private island to party with the Kardashians.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Uh, So what happened with the people who uh, arrived? Did they have a problem getting back home?
1: Um, yeah, it was really unfortunate. Um, so because Billy had switched the festival as a cashless at the last minute, um, a lot of people showed up without cash on them. They believed that they you know, were paying for everything by wristbands. Um, the airport there was not equipped to deal with that influx of people. Um, a number of people got locked in the airport overnight without food or water. Uh, they were physically locked in with a padlock. Um, some people were forced to stay. On the island, uh, you know, in, in the, the gravel development pit, um, that had sand fleas. They had to sleep on wet mattresses. You know, everyone ended up okay at the end. You know, for the grace of God. But it was a very negative experience for everyone that went.
0: And is uh, is uh, what's his name? Is McFarland the only person who actually uh, wound up going to jail for this? Despite the fact that there he were is. any number of people who were involved, who must have known what was going on.
1: Yeah, he he was the only one who ultimately got sentenced to anything. Um, Ja Rule, who was his partner in it, was essentially kind of declared a useful idiot in the whole debacle. Um, And so he would never uh, charge with anything criminal and he was dropped from all the civil suits. Uh, There was a um, class action that uh, I think just just this month um, was resolved, but I don't know, where they're going to get you know that money from um i think the ticket holders are each due like seven thousand dollars each something like that um but you know Billy carland does 26 million in restitution which he hasn't paid a single cent towards so i would say good luck collecting on that
0: is instagram at all concerned about it being used in this way
1: um, if they are, they haven't really uh, given much of an indication. Um, and I don't know if, if uh, you know, consumer regulation agencies are either. Um, the way that things are now, there's not much recourse. Um, the, the onus is really on the consumer to protect themselves. You know, they, they, they can send, the government can send a strongly worded letter if uh, an influencer declines to, you know, Identify something as an ad when it's paid for, um, and they can maybe go after the company. But a lot of it is too little, too late, um, and, and there's you know not much that can be done for a consumer who's been duped. And you know one of the the most striking things about the Whole Fire Festival debacle is that everyone that was involved in that, say for Billy McFarland, is still out there selling products yeah. to consumers. There's been no backlash against them. They are just as popular, if not more popular than ever.
0: Well, now you have a book and a film. Where do you think you're going to go in the future? You've done a couple of, uh, of films now, haven't you?
1: Yes, uh, one documentary and one feature. You got um, an you know, uh, Emmy nominated. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't think that this is uh, the end of the story um, for Billy or for kind of this culture that is primed to accept hype in lieu of the real thing. And so, you know, I think there is going to be Many more stories on this theme. Mm.
0: Uh, <laughs> so I look forward to business, the... Well, I look forward to having you back. But meanwhile, we've been discussing Gabrielle's book, Hype, How Scammers, Grifters, and Con Artists Are Taking Over the Internet and, and Why We're Following. It's published by Hanover Square Press. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. This was a pleasure.
0: And that brings us to the end of today's show. I want to give a special thanks to my executive producer, Jesse Lent, And to our live engineer, Reggie Johnson, for all of the important work that they do throughout the week. And if you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. There are also links to all of our past shows at at large.com. And if you'd like to reach me directly, you can email me at LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to take just a minute to ask you to support this station. We're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to step up and make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online right now to give to wbai.org or by calling 212 209 2950 to keep the unique, in depth content that we bring you on this program coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Remember that WBAI is the only station in New York that's supported 100% by listener donations. So if you tune in regularly to Leonard Lopate at Large, or even if you've just discovered our in-depth one-hour interviews, why not step up right now by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 to help keep this show and this historic station that brings it to you on the air. And to everyone who's already supporting WBAI in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large, Thank you. We're off for the next couple of days, but I hope you can join us on Tuesday when Dr. Michelle Miller-Adams will discuss her new book, The Path to Free College in Pursuit of Access, Equity, and Prosperity. We'll see you then.